Welcome to The Wonder, exploring perspectives, rituals, and observances of modern naturalistic, earth-revering, pagan religious paths. Here are your hosts, Yucca and Mark. Welcome back to The Wonder, science-based paganism. I'm your host, Mark. And I'm Yucca. And today we're going to talk about the moon. Very beloved subject for pagans everywhere and people who enjoy the night sky. And so we want to talk about all things lunar today. Right. And timely too. So there's something special coming up with the moon later this week. And we'll be talking about that with you. Right. Exactly yeah. so. So but before we get there, yeah, I'm just going to tease you a little bit. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about the significance first, though. Let's talk about this awesome, amazing body. One of the most significant uh, characteristics of this planet is that it has a very large satellite called the moon. And that has a lot of impacts for us. In fact, the tides that are created by the moon were apparently essential in the formation of early life because as multicellular organisms moved out of being in the oceans and onto land, they had to have pumps within themselves in order to replicate that wash of oxygen laden water mm -hmm. over the tops of their cells, which is why we have hearts and circulatory systems. So there's a, there's a deep interconnectedness between us as living organisms and the fact of the moon as the satellite of the earth. Right. And, and different species, we see it in different ways. One thing that's really interesting about humans is that reproductively, we don't have a solar reproductive cycle, like many animals that might have, you know, breed in one time of year in the fall or something like that. Mm -hmm. We actually have a lunar reproductive cycle. Mm -hmm. So even though there are times of year that we're more likely to breed, we actually can more often. And that's more closely tied to the lunar cycle than the solar cycle. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we are lunar creatures to a significant extent. And that means that the moon holds a fascination for us. It's that thing up in the sky, which we have always imagined as a foreign land or a, or a lamp being born by a god. Mm -hmm. But it's always been someplace, even in very, very ancient mythology, it's always been imagined as a place you could go. Yeah. In theory, if you could fly high enough, you could go to the moon. And of course, we now have flown high enough and we have gone to the moon, which is pretty extraordinary. It's this thing that happened in my lifetime, and I'm really amazed to have seen it. And hopefully, you know, hopefully we'll go back. And I mean, this might be a good moment to to talk about the moon and some of the ways that learning about it from a scientific perspective really has taught us so much about the history of earth too and yes when we went to the moon it really clarified so many different ideas i mean we didn't we didn't really know how the moon formed where was it from right? we've been looking at it for as long as we've been humans even before right and when we actually went to the moon we were able to bring moon rocks back and look at them and go oh wait wait 
this far off place is actually deeply, deeply connected to us, to yes. our planet, right? Yes. So the consensus at this point, there were a lot of ideas before the Apollo program, we went, oh, maybe co-accretion, right? Maybe it formed at the same time as the Earth and it formed as part of the proto-lunar disk, or maybe it's a captured body, or there was even this crazy idea about fission, that when the, that the Earth was molten and it was spinning so fast that a little drop came off and became the moon. Hmm. But the idea that we that really fits the evidence that we have today is that the moon formed at the same time that Earth did, in that we were, were actually originally two different planets. We were proto-Earth and another planet called Thea, both planets that formed around the sun, both terrestrial planets very close to each other, and that over time, the two planets got closer and closer and closer and ended up colliding with each other. And the collision, the, there was a merger and those two planets ended up making Earth. And then also lots of that debris that was flung out into space then became the moon. So Earth and the moon are made from the mixture of two other ancient planets. And this happened very, very early on. And more of proto-Earth became part of Earth and more of Thea became part of the moon, but both are a mix of both planets. Right. And because the, the Earth is a very active planet, the Earth has the tectonic processes where we've got plates moving around, we've got, you know, the, the molten layer of the mantle and the solid core. There's, there's, there's a great deal going on in the earth and what that ends up doing frequently is destroying the early record of what the earth's rocks were like when the earth was first formed the moon is not like that that's right the moon is more like a geological fossil in some ways of course it's you know heavily bombarded by by solar radiation and so you get a lot of that sort of weathering on the outside but you can still find examples of regolith from the earth sorry from the moon that are really examples of what you might expect to find in an ancient earth mm -hmm. and i i know a little bit about this my father was a geophysicist who worked on some of the moon rocks back in the early 70s and Ooh, i didn't know that that's yes. awesome and the level of excitement in the geological <laughs> community by having found these rocks and examined them and he he focused on very, very microscopic processes. So he was working with thin sections in electron microscopes to take a look at the, you know, the fine grained structure of these rocks. The, the level of excitement was really palpable among him and his colleagues at that time. I was quite young, but I could still tell that there was this wow factor about what could be learned from bringing these rocks home. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's the, the, these ancient rocks that are surviving and then the the record the impact record right when we look at the moon we see it's covered in craters mm -hmm. well, earth has been hit proportionally as many times as the moon it's just the plate tectonics erases that the oceans and the and all of the the weather processes we have that the moon doesn't so something hits the moon's surface and the the crater that it makes just stays there 
unless it gets erased by another crater. And so it's a it's like a time machine. It's right. a, in terms of chemistry, in terms of the positioning of the craters. And it tells us we can learn so much about the history of the whole solar system and the development of Earth. And and then there's just mysteries every day. There are more and more mysteries. You know, there was volcanism on the moon and the record. Some of our records suggest that there were eruptions far more recently than our models predict there should have been based on what we think the internal temperature should be. And there's it's just amazing. Right. So. So the moon, it's fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> the moon is really a fascinating place for us. And the fact that we have gone there and that we've learned things about it hasn't made it any less fascinating. If anything, it's done that science thing that science always does, where the more you learn, the more interesting things become. Right? Water. There's water there. It's frozen, right. but it's right. there. There's also some tardigrades. <laughs> we'll see how well they do. But another thing that is really interesting for us is because of the moon orbiting us, we see different phases for it. And this has acted as a clock for us, is yes. a way of telling time. So we look at these phases and that's where our weeks come from, right? Seven mm -hmm. days, that's a quarter of the, the cycle. And we can get into the fun thing about the different, you know, synodic versus the sidereal and all of that. And, really nerd out on that but but if we average it out we go we're about 28 days you divide mm -hmm. that in four and we get our our weeks right and one thing to mention we were we were talking about before there's a term that is luckily going out of fashion but when people talk about the dark side of the moon there isn't really a dark side of the moon i mean there's the side that's night that isn't being shined on but the side that we don't see on earth is the far side uh, because the moon is tidally locked with the earth so as it's going around earth right it's revolving around earth it's also rotating around its own axis just the way earth does but it's doing it much much slower so it's always presenting the same face to us and there's a Pretty side there's a yeah there's bit a little of a bit of wiggle yeah which is really in, which is a lot of fun when you look at the recordings of it sped up you see this wibble wobble the and but there's that other side which we didn't see until very recently. Like Mark, you probably remember the first photos that came back. Oh, I do. From the other side, right? I do. And from, looking at it and going, Apollo 8. Yeah. wait, oh, whoa, that's different. Yes, <laughs> the the it, far side looks quite different moon, than the near side. It, for one thing, it's smoother for some reason. We don't know entirely why, but there are more of the so-called mare, the, the seas, the smooth areas on our uh, side the mar the the there's more mar on our side and there's more of the highlands on the other side so that we have more the the dark that we see on this side is actually um lava that mm -hmm. seeped out so volcanoes but the volcanoes behaved a little bit differently the far side we see more of the the highland we see more of the felspars and and things like that lots more craters but not these huge what we refer to as seas the mm -hmm. early astronomers imagined getting to go there and sail upon them of course that's mm -hmm. not what we would do but right so yeah it looks quite one of the things that i do with my students is kind of a trick question i'll show them the two sides of the moon and i'll ask them to circle which one is the moon and see <laughs> and so some of them get it right away they're like oh it's both the both sides and others most of the time they'll pick the 
the near side because that's the side that we see that we're familiar with. Some people see a rabbit in it. Some people see all kinds of things. Um, I don't really see a man or a rabbit, but mm-hmm. you know, some people say there's a face. Anyways, that's a, a really fun thing to do with with uh, students in, in planetary sciences, go, which is which, and see mm-hmm. if they catch it. <laughs> but So we were saying that the moon has been a significant factor for humans for as long as we've been human since since prior to being uh, fully modern humans, probably. Mm-hmm. But we know that even very early humans were marking things according to the moon because we have uh, Paleolithic re- remnants and art objects that mark the the phases of the moon, like the so-called Venus of Losel which is a carving of a nude woman figure who is holding a horn, which is engraved with 13 marks. Mm-hmm. And that horn is very obviously the moon. And those 13 marks are to show that that's the number of moons in a year. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty remarkable considering that that, that piece of art is something like 25,000 years old, as I recall. Um, people have been using the moon to track time for a long time. And obviously, therefore, it must have held some kind of very holy, sacred meaning for them, that there's this remarkable light that comes up in the sky, just as the sun has in our throughout our history. And that it, it changes. Yes, right? that's something that I think in modern society where we're so used to our artificial lights, when we do see the moon, we, a lot of, a lot of us aren't tracking, you know, when the phases are, we just happen to notice, oh, there's the moon, right? That's pretty, that's cool. But before we had those lights, so all of human history until just a few generations, the half of the time when the moon wouldn't be out at night, because half of the time we're going to see it during the day, half at night, night was really, really dark. Mm -hmm. And the time when you'd have the full moon, the full moon actually is very bright. It is. You you walk around at night with a full moon and it, you can see your shadow. So what you could do, the types of activities one could do during the full moon versus the new moon were very, very different. And that's something that I think has been lost a little bit today in our, our bright, artificially lit world. Yes, I agree. I mean, we, we've talked before about the issue of light pollution and how it distances us from the part of the natural world that is represented by the sky. Mm-hmm. It, it becomes more more removed and people who live especially in brightly lit areas, they may never even particularly notice that there are stars or there are planets or there are things happening in the sky above them at night. And to me, that's a real shame. It's a real loss. Yeah. Um, because it's a part of, as we so often talk about, paying attention, being aware of, of the natural world around us. I have some students who live in in mega cities who these are, you know, high schoolers who have never seen the stars. Wow. Right. 
never because it's simply not they i mean they live on the 13th floor in cities with millions and millions of people and they've spotted this the moon a few times but never seen the stars let alone be able to see any of the planets in mm -hmm. a lot of cities even the really populated cities as long as you're not in one of the mega cities you're still going to be able to see jupiter and venus and that sort of thing if you if you can spot them between the buildings but in the mega cities it's just it's too bright and there are, are millions and millions of people who that's who live their lives there. And that's just so different than what it was very, very recently. Yes. Yeah. So as we talk about the reverence for the moon, we should we should reference that in within pagan spheres specifically there is a great fondness for the moon the moon is associated with all kinds of wonderful things it's often considered feminine which i see as kind of strange because a lot of the early moon deities were masculine i personally just don't divide the world into the into male and female yeah I don't it's a either. very it's I a very either. animal thing and there's animals are you know, we relate to animals because we're animals, but animals are really, really new and really, really rare compared uh -huh. to the rest of life. Of what's um, going on with life. Yeah. So for me, I go, it's it's a it's a planet, right? Yeah. It's, it's not a, it's not a it's not a rock male or a male or you know, it's 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 a satellite planet, right? Yes. But different cultures have had different associations with that, and a lot of of more modern Western cultures there's a male the sun being male and the moon being female association but that hasn't been the case for all cultures no today or in the past it's it's just the one that many people who might be listening to this podcast if you're in the states or in you know australia or something that you might have been more exposed to yeah so there's this there's this just general kind of warm feeling about the moon and and i think that some of that is because a lot of us who have orientation to nature as a part of our spirituality and an interest in going outdoors and experiencing the natural world we love it at night hmm. we really enjoy going out at night and when the moon is large it's easier to navigate and go around and see things and travel and all that kind of fun stuff so and just look um, at it yeah just hang yeah. out and look at it it's amazing it is so you know there there are many different ways that pagans observe the the cycles of the holiday the the cycles of the the moon in a given month some people are really rigorous about it they 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 celebrate the new moon when the disc is totally dark as it faces us. And then the first quarter when it's a half moon and then the full moon and then the third quarter when it's the other half illuminated. Mm -hmm. And they have ideas about what each of those things represent. So a new moon is a good time to initiate new things, whereas the third quarter might be a time to rid yourself of things that you want to be done with. I'm not that complicated with my <laughs> interaction with moon cycles. Mostly, I just like to be aware of where the moon is in its cycle, cycle at all times. 
And I like to go out and be under the full moon. Yeah, that's pretty similar for me. I pay a lot of attention to what it's going to be because I because I, I make a point of being outside every every day and every night mm -hmm. and just being aware of it. And I like to find the moon in the day, actually. There's something mm -hmm. kind of fun about spotting it because it's it, it's there half of the month, right? And yeah. just seeing, oh, there it is, look. And it's kind of, it's it has a very different feeling during the day than the night. It's just, it's it's almost, you know, to anthropomorphize, it's just very shy and modest during the day um because you really have to look to find it but at night like there it is it's dominating the sky it makes seeing the other it makes seeing stars difficult it makes seeing the milky way difficult like it's that's what's there that's it's the star of the show right right yeah yeah the moon in the daytime seems farther away to me it seems like I get a better sense of the actual distance between the earth and the moon when I'm looking at it during the day than I do it at night when it just seems so vivid and present. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I haven't thought about it like that before, but, but I see that too. There's also, depending on where you see it in the sky, there's some pretty interesting optical illusions that can happen with the size of the moon oh, yes. when you're seeing it on the horizon versus, mm -hmm. you know, when it's at the zenith and all of that. And those can be revealed by photography. Yeah. Which is really interesting because if you look at, say, a full moon rising on the horizon, it looks so large, but if you take a picture of it, it's not. Yeah. So it's something that our brain is doing to inflate the size of the moon relative to the landscape around it. I find that very mysterious, and I'm sure that there must have been some good reason for it, but I can't imagine what it is. I haven't <laughs> figured that out. Yeah, it's, I haven't looked into it, but it would be an interesting one to, I'm sure that it's, it's something that people have given a lot of thought into. And on the history of the moon, we're in a really interesting time period where the, the moon's position relative to earth has been changing when the mm -hmm. earth and the moon formed we were very close to each other and the moon is moving away every year a little bit it's moving at about the same rate that continents are moving apart or that your fingernails are growing mm -hmm. so just a few centimeters each year but it so it used to if we had been alive two billion years ago three billion years ago it would look huge on our horizon and it would be red and glowing because it would still had active volcanism but right now it's in this perfect distance where the size is just right and the distance is just right that occasionally it can get between us and the sun and perfectly block out the light from the sun. Right. And that's what our solar eclipse is. Yes. And the lunar eclipse is, it's easier for that to happen because the lunar eclipse is when the, the earth is between the moon and the sun and the earth is was really big so compared to the moon so then it blocks the light or some of the light from it mm -hmm. yes it's 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 amazing how that that perfect circular hole punch just leaves the chronosphere and you know all the dramatic sort mm -hmm. of flames leaping out from the the sun which are there all the time but we can't see yeah because the rest of the sun is so bright that it completely overwhelms the, uh, the visibility of that 
dramatic flaming kind of effect that, that happens crown the yeah getting to see yeah. the corona yeah and we should do due diligence and of course mention don't look at the sun directly with your naked eye no even don't. an eclipse they can blind you it's it's that bright even when it's being blocked by the moon but that's that's a moment that i think people often now we are very good at predicting it but seek that out there's something very special about the eclipses yes yes there really is i've seen one total solar eclipse in my life when i was very young and i still remember it really vividly it's a dramatic experience mm -hmm. the one that was in north america recently was it was 2017 you would you weren't in the path for that right yes but not for totality yeah so we saw it, it was pretty it was a lot but it wasn't totality and you would be amazed at what a difference i mean i, I think we had like 93 percent cover or something like that it was but that seven percent is so bright that although you can tell that the day is dimmer you can't tell that it's that much dimmer, but, but when, when it's <laughs> when when it's totality, the world it's, goes dark. It's night for a moment. Yeah, yes. I I experienced one in as a teenager in Spain, and it was it was weird because I don't know if the temperature really dropped, but it felt like the temperature dropped several degrees. It, it yes. was just. It was very, you know, very magical and every, it was, in, it was in the middle of a big city. It was in the middle of Bilbao and we were all looking up and we had our special little like glasses and everything. And just the whole city was just silent for a moment and everything was dark. What I recall is that every dog began howling. Ooh. They were really freaked out. And, you know, I, I was in this huge field with all these people that had telescopes and cameras set up in North Carolina. And I remember it was a chive field. There were, there were still chives. <laughs> some, some poor farmer probably had his crop completely trampled, but yeah, just that spooky darkness and, and dogs, how kept it up for the whole time of totality. <laughs> and as soon as it was, the totality was over, they stopped. Yeah. Must be quite disconcerting for them. Sure. When the right. sun goes out, it's disturbing for humans too. Uh, yeah. We even have... when we know what's happening. Right. But before we knew what was happening, it was really disturbing. I mean, you see records of this. There's a, there's a record of the total eclipse of the sun in the Bayou tapestry that uh, commemorates the battle of Hastings in 1066. Mm. And it's considered to be this portent of the takeover of England by the Normans. So yes, really dramatic events. And I highly recommend going to see a total eclipse of the sun if you possibly can. It's a extraordinary experience. And on the other side of that, and this, you'll have more opportunities for this are lunar eclipses. Right. And that's what we were teasing about a little bit at the beginning. So there's going to be a lunar eclipse. It's not a total lunar eclipse. It's a partial lunar eclipse, but it's still, I think it's like 97%. If you're in, it'll be visible in North America. So all of North America will have a great view of it, including also in Hawaii. South America will have partial 
visibility, the UK and Ireland, and this will be at, at moon set for us. And then for folks in Australia and New Zealand, you'll get to see it partially during moon rise. And unfortunately, continental Europe, Africa, and most of Asia, it's not going to be visible for. But the morning of the 19th, it should be happening. Let's see, I actually wrote the time down here. So for mountain, it's 2 a.m. for the the peak of the, the eclipse. So for folks on the West Coast, that's going to be 1 a.m. or mm -hmm. 4 a.m. for Eastern. And it's a long eclipse. They usually don't last this long, but it should be about four hours from start to completion. And what happens in an eclipse like this is the Earth is passing through, I mean, this moon is passing through the Earth's shadow but the light from the sun is still being bent by our atmosphere and the long red wavelengths make it through and they're going to be hitting the moon so it's a what you call a blood moon mm -hmm. so it'll get very dark dark red orange depending on where you are and should be really quite amazing and it's also happening at the same time as the peak of the leonids so we have annual meteor showers and the leonids happen this time of year now when the moon is full it makes it harder to see the meteors right so you can still see if you go out tonight or or a few days after you can still see even when it's not peaking but it could be kind of special if you spot a few meteors at the same time as you're out watching the the red eclipse happening right and if you are inclined to do some sort of ritual activity during that, you could create some very special moon meteor water mm -hmm. by uh, filling a jar, hopefully a, a beautiful jar or bottle, you know, of those of those dozens of really cool <laughs> bottles that you've been collecting because that's because they're what just so cool. Pagans do. Yeah. You could fill that up with water and sit it in the moonlight until the until the the eclipse has completed mm -hmm. and you'll have this specially associated water that you can use in your rituals use to fill a chalice on your focus any of that kind of thing that's certainly right. what i will be doing on thursday night yeah and and there are so many things that one could do with the eclipse but just with full moons in general or your new moon or burning a candle right mm -hmm. or if you could do a fire of, of some kind but that you know having the fire with the full moon there's just something very there's again something very pagan about dancing around a fire under the full moon right yes um very primal right yeah what else can we say about the moon and rituals and practices i don't know I'm sure that, oh, one thing that people very often like to do on full moons, besides making their moon water and stuff like that, is to do divination. And, you know, I got to tell you, if you, if you enjoy, if you enjoy that ritual feeling and the, you know, the, the sort of witchy atmosphere of a full moon and a burning fire or candlelight, laying out some tarot cards or runes or something like that is a really pleasurable thing to do. And you can 
find some very meaningful associations in the symbols that you that you draw randomly. Yeah. So that's something else to consider doing. And you don't have to wait until two in the morning to do that. No. That's when the eclipse hap will happen to be this week. But but typically you're going to see with the full moon that it's going to be rising at about the same time as the sun is setting down and then setting at the same time the sun is rising the next morning. So you've got basically the whole night for whenever it works for your particular schedule or, you know, whatever your, your rhythms are. Right. Right. Yeah. So, oh, and there was one other thing that I was going to mention, which is that many people have the tradition of naming the moons. Mm -hmm. You've got the hunter's moon and you've got the blood moon and you've got the snow moon and you've got the rabbit moon, which I don't even remember when that is. I would guess maybe it's in the springtime when there's April, lots of May, rabbits. March. I don't know. That's not that's not part of my tradition, but that would be my guess is that, you know, fertility and yeah, lots of rabbits and, you know. So one thing that some folks in the Ethiopian community do is they name the moon cycles after the 13 Ethiopian principles. And so if you're one of the people that does that, we started doing that a while back. But this full moon coming up on the night of the 18th is the integrity moon. Mm. And so you can contemplate those things that require your integrity or places where you don't feel that you've been in full integrity and how you might heal that. Um, and it's it's just it's an opportunity to reflect on on whether you've lived up to your own standards, which I think is an important thing to contemplate once in a while. Yeah, it's it's key, yeah. right? Because we're not waiting around for someone else to tell us what what's right and wrong and how we how well we're doing right that's something that we're deciding for ourselves right and the good news about that is that we're also not kind of kept in the dark about that until a final judgment after it's too late to do anything about it yeah. <laughs> we, do, we don't we don't have any of that final judgment stuff so you kind of have to keep track as you go along and that means it's a good idea to reflect on those things and at least once a year and so this Thursday becomes a holiday that's, you know, an opportunity for, for a, a holiday that's about integrity and, and, and living up to one's ideals. This has been a great conversation. This has been a very science-y, science-based paganism <laughs> episode. Thank you. Thank, uh, thank you. Thank you, Yucko. Yeah, I always love these ones. And we can always dig in. There's so much, there's just so much to talk about with all of it and so much to learn about ourselves and about the world that we're part of and mm -hmm. and hey to get to get to tune in to this cool planet we've got hanging out next to us so thank you mark okay thank you so much yucca talk to you soon